Welcome to the Brave Feminine Leadership Podcast, where we share stories from amazing leaders just like you and me. We break down myths of leadership, imposter syndrome, and we ask what brave feminine leadership means and does it need to change? All of these interviews were originally recorded in video format. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Brave Feminine Leadership for news on when new video series will be dropping. It's wonderful to meet you. Drop me a note if the content resonates. Melissa at bravefeminineleadership.com. Let's get brave. I'm really excited to welcome uh, today Cherie Rubenstein uh, to join me and have a conversation around brave feminine leadership. Cherie is the founder of One Roof, a female-only co-working space and now an online community, and we'll get all into that about what that is. But Cherie, welcome. It's fantastic to have you here. Yeah, thanks, Melissa. It's really great to be here. People that haven't had the pleasure of coming across you before, Cherie, would you just take a minute or two just to tell us, you know, who you are and a little bit about your journey before we dive in? Yeah, sure. So I am a former corporate lawyer turned entrepreneur. Uh, as Melissa said, I'm the founder of OneRoof. We design virtual and physical spaces with a mission to really reshape the world of work for women and level the playing field. For the last four years, I've been running One Roof as a co-working space for women, and it um, was very well known as the leading co-working space in Australia dedicated to women. We had really great success, and um, yeah, I spent some time raising capital and had very grand plans to expand the business and was gearing up to launch our next flagship site in Cremorne, and then of course, COVID hit and um, changed everything. The world changed as, as we know it. Um, I pivoted the business to a digital membership for women. And, and obviously, we'll talk more about that, but have had great success over the last seven months building that up. I left Melbourne during lockdown um, and have been on the go indefinitely for the last few months. I became a mum one week into lockdown and Goldie's now um, nearly nine months old. Congratulations. Um, thank you. And, um, and yeah, and I'm, I'm, it's been obviously in many ways a shit show of a year, but pretty excited for um, what's to come and the opportunities that are unfolding um, as a result of all the changes. Uh, and I think the biggest thing that's really come out of this year for me is the realisation that the how of what I'm doing and the business model um, might change and evolve many times in my life and career, but it's it's the mission and the purpose and the passion underlying all of that, which is all about elevating women to success and to positions of leadership. And that's what carries me. And I'm, I'm no longer so fixated on the outcomes. Um, you know, I thought I was running a co-working business and that was my end goal. And I realized that it's not about that. It's about the grander, bigger vision. And, and you know, now I don't think I'm going to run a co-working business and it's just constantly changing. Changing. So I, yeah, I, I'm, I found a passion quite early on in my career and that's been my North Star and my, you know, really guided me through the last, yeah, few years. Fantastic. My motivation for doing this series of interviews um, came from a number of places, but one was 
um, coming across so many female leaders who were sort of feeling feeling alone, um, you know, often plagued by self-doubt. And my concern was, therefore, they were stepping back from their true potential. The other thing was, um, and it's really, I want to dig into this with you, was, you know, I, I look at the fact that the needle is not moving with regards to females into leadership positions. And over the last five years or so has really sort of stagnated. And here you are an example of an extremely um, strong, you know, vibrant, co courageous female leader. And you stepped out of the corporate arena very early on. Can you talk to me about that, about your experience um, in that space? Yeah, I think um, it, the moment, I think there are a couple of things going on. I, I don't, you know, I, I pursued a career in corporate law and I don't think law was ever really my calling. I think, you know, it's, it's a typical journey you hear from ambitious, high achieving kids who have parents that encourage them to pursue a career in law, but actually that's not really what they want to do. So that was always kind of niggling away at me. Um, I think the other thing was from the moment that I, you know, walked into 101 Collins Street um, and, and entered the, the workforce, I felt that the message I kept receiving as a young career-driven woman was that because you're a woman, your chances of success are less, basically, and, and are diminished, and, and you might not be able to succeed in the way you want to simply because you are a woman. How long ago was this? That was in 2000 and. 11 or 2012 so that's a that's very recent yeah yes and that's right and and um yeah I think the messaging I got was you know there weren't women in there weren't enough female partners and then you know that's not even that wasn't just at the firm I was at that was that's the legal profession as a whole and then even if you go outside the legal profession the lack of women you know female CEOs the lack of women around boards the lack of um, women running countries uh, it was just it became so obvious to me um, and yeah and then watching women go on maternity leave and then kind of lose their position in the hierarchy um come back and work part-time and then and then often be kind of unnoticed or just kind of less important um and then yeah just and my own experience of feeling um you know yeah just just feeling just seeing kind of the boys club in in the workplace and um and feeling that I was yeah, kind of would always have to be pushing through and, and I'm the minority just trying to keep up. I really felt that. Um, and I guess that sparked something in me to want to make a difference and do something in that space. And I was probably, you know, quite young and naive. I probably still am young and naive, but I really thought that I could make a difference. Um, and so it started very small for me. It started with Actually, the first thing I ever did was volunteer with Fitted for Work, which is a not-for-profit, and they work with women who've experienced disadvantage, helping them to gain employment, and I loved that, and then I ended up 
working with them part-time. But beyond that, in the more entrepreneurial space, I just started with networking events. Like I, a couple of school friends and I got together and decided, okay, there must be a lot of women out there our age struggling, you know, finding it really hard to navigate their career journeys, looking for mentors, not knowing where to go. Um, and so let's create a space for people to talk and connect and a platform to hear from interesting speakers. And that was the foray for me. That, that never turned into an official business. We called it Think Big um, and we ran it. It started with 15 women around a dining room table and ended with 300 person events with celebrity speakers. So it was great. But yeah, that was the start. And I did that while I was still working in law and working um, in the corporate world. And I guess as that, as like the entrepreneurial space kept growing for me, um, it eventually took over. And, and then, you know, I, I started One Roof and, and um, the business grew from there. But I think also I grew up in a family who, would be, you know, ran, have always run their own business. And so I think there was that, there was something inside me that was always kind of drawn to the entrepreneurial world, even though I, I had no idea I was ever going to run my own business. But I think that there was always a pull going on there that um, was drawing me away from corporate. So it felt normal. It felt very normal. And I, I, make, I joke about this all the time that my parents actually, they, they ran part of the business from home. And so I literally grew up in a business and I'd walk out of my bedroom on a Monday morning and there would be six or seven office staff in our living room working and the phones were ringing and like that was, you know, this one story small house. Did, they, did they start early or did you get up late? <laughs> I think I got up late. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was my world and my parents were always talking about business, always, you know, feeling very challenged by their work, but that was our world. We we grew up in that. So I think that was always um, it takes me back to a little bit of an interesting point there. So um and I love the young and naive. May we all stay young and naive and you know continue to think that we can have an impact and change things. Um, I guess the, the question that sort of occurred to me as you were talking through that was you didn't cut the corporate career off dry. You started experimenting and perhaps building your confidence that, that something was going to take off in the other space first. What, what was the point that really gave you that tipping, okay, that's it, I'm out now? Mm, it was definitely having fit. So... I started volunteering with Fitted for Work and then they offered me part-time work if I wanted it. So I guess knowing that I could leave my, my job and have something part-time, knowing that that wasn't where I was, where I was going to be moving forward, but it gave me a baseline. It gave me, um, yeah, you know, money that, that I could yeah, make while I was working out the next step. So that combined with, having had the success with Think Big. And then um, I met my then business partner and we started One Roof together and tested the concept. And so when that test was kind of that pilot was really successful, yeah, I knew that I wanted to step out of a stable job and, and give it a shot. Um, yeah, so I think it's different for everyone and everyone's financial situations are different and everyone's appetite for risk is different. Um, I think for me, having, having one roof 
as a business and something to work towards and also having the baseline of fitted for work gave me enough confidence to, to leave. Um, but I would say that during that period of time, I spent so much time networking, going for coffees with people, um, putting myself up for random programs and hackathons and opportunities and you know I remember one of the first people I asked to go for coffee with was Carol Schwartz who is a very prominent you know businesswoman and philanthropist and um, uh, really champions women's rights and gender equality and and yeah that was one of the first people who I reached out to and said can we go for coffee? I'm really passionate about this space, but I don't know how to channel my passion into, into something valuable. Um, so I recognised very early on that I needed to step out of my comfort zone and that building a network and people were going to help me, uh, yeah, work out what to do with this newfound passion and, and interest. I love that. Um... Uh, I love that drive and curiosity that you display. And I saw another interview that you did reasonably recently, and I think you were talking about the fact that you um, raised capital. And, and we can get to that later, but the point in particular that um, struck me was you found yourself a coach to guide you through that process. Um, you know, I think there's some real value in reaching out and grabbing expertise and continuing to learn and talk and grow. And, you know, at least there's a couple of examples I've seen you do that. Has that been something that sort of just come naturally or something you valued and, and been very deliberate about? I think, yeah, a bit of both. I think it has been very natural for me in the sense that, and, and you know, I guess there's probably a strong sense of self-awareness that I have to realise where my gaps are and where my skills gaps are and to, to know that for me, I, I can't solve problems by sitting by myself and just mulling over them on my own. I guess I'm quite extroverted in that way. I need people. I need to bounce off ideas. And that's something that through doing leadership programs and different courses, I've discovered about myself. Um, and so, yeah, I knew that, you know, as that particular example, raising capital was something that I've never done before. I don't feel incredibly confident when it comes to financials and I mean I have a level of competence I, I don't feel stupid but I don't it's not my strong suit and so sitting in a room with potential investors talking through valuations and and projections isn't something that I'd had done before and that I felt confident in and so I knew that in order to be able to overcome my fears around it and I had a lot of fear about raising capital I don't know probably some weird relationship with money that we we all have our own weird relationships with it yep. um but yeah and so I just knew that I needed I needed support and I also found that I was turning to my partner a lot for that support and he is amazing and has given me so much of that support, but I, I, he hasn't raised capital before. And I felt that I was taking too much of his time and energy. And I just, I think that was really the impetus and the catalyst that where I went, okay, I just need an external person who I can talk to every week and work through, you know, here's the meetings I've got this week. Here's the email that I received. How do I respond? What are they getting at? What are they looking for? What should I bring to the meeting? You know, what do I do if they ask me about valuations? Um, and so that was really helpful. Yeah. 
Um, before we finally sort of leave the corporate space and move into the entrepreneurial, looking back, um, I hear what you say about law perhaps not being the right match for you. Um, and I guess that's pretty fundamental in the journey. But is there anything that, you know, the organisation that you were part of or the industry, is there anything they could have done that might have improved the chance of you sticking around? I don't possibly things they could have done. I think I, when I left, I actually thought more about what I could have done. And, and one of the things that I... I don't regret, but I think I would have loved to have given a go was if, you know, I realised that I was passionate about gender equality, about diversity and inclusion. And I guess over the years that's become, um, you know, something that's more valued by companies. You have, you know, diversity and inclusion offices, you have kind of committees focused on um, women and, and gender equality. And I, I guess if I had put more time and effort into, um, in, into that area and even said to my partners, you know, this is something I'm quite passionate about. Could I spend more time doing that? Um, I would have loved to have given that a go because in, in the corporate world, you have the value of resources, people, money, you know, there's so much support there. And I think you can, you can have a really profound impact mm -hmm. um, that you can't have that's different when you're running things on your own without the money and the people and the resources um so I guess I guess they by the same token the organization and my partners could have noticed and and they did notice this in um my performance reviews they always said you're excellent with people you've got great you know you're really good with the clients you're good at building the relationships but you're not spending enough time working on billable hours and so it was so obvious and and they kept saying you do too many extracurricular things like I was really involved in the different committees and events and community stuff and pro bono work I loved all of that I guess I struggled more with the with the billable work um, and so they could have seen that as an opportunity to kind of funnel me into an area in the organization that aligned more closely with my skill set and what I loved doing. Um, so I think it was a, a bit of both. I could have asked for it, but I didn't know what I wanted to ask for at that point. And they could have offered more, more opportunity for me and really offer me a more individualized career. Because I think, you know, in, in the legal world and in a lot of different professions, I was a grad and and the, the height like the way that you move up is very we're all the same grads are all the same you kind of move up together I think if they could see you as an individual and put you into your own career trajectory and progression it would have been more beneficial for me mm, okay so if we move now to one roof and um, I guess what I'm interested in is you talk about wanting to improve um, um, the world of work for women effectively. Um, I've probably paraphrased that terribly, so I'll let you do that. Um, but what, what were the challenges that you were trying to overcome? What was the problem you were solving? Yeah, well, I guess... Um you know, the reality is women are 51% of the population. Um, but when you look to the business and entrepreneurial world, we've received less than 
3% or less of venture capital. Um, we are still a minority when it comes to positions of um, leadership in, in particularly in the startup world as, as founders in tech positions. Um, and then when you look at, uh, at the businesses that are most successful and on the ASX where um, 7.7, just over 7% of, you know, Fortune 500 CEOs. And, and there's, I mean, there's loads of stats that we could talk through, but I think the, the, the overall problem that I was looking at is we, there just aren't enough women in positions of leadership running successful global companies. Um, and I think that that is, I, I truly believe that if we have more women in positions of leadership in positions of influence, it is better for everyone. It's better for, you know, our, it's better for the world. It's better for nature. It's better for us as people. It's better for families. It's better for communities. Um, and so we, we at the time really drilled it down to this problem of um, environments like physical space, office space being designed by men and for men. And so we wanted to create physical spaces that actually had women in mind. And, and co-working was this kind of growing industry. And so we leveraged off that, that growing industry and yeah, really just wanted to rethink the office space um, at the same time as then creating, um, rethinking the programming and the infrastructure. So it wasn't just, you know, the the little things of like you know um in co-working spaces it was like everything was always about table tennis and drinks right. on friday and pizza and beer and you know we we wanted to rethink it so that there was um pads and tampons in the bathroom and you could drink from a nice wine glass and you know there was a breastfeeding room and and but then more than just that it was it was all about the programming so you know creating a space for female founders and business owners to talk about the challenges that they were facing that in many ways were very different to what um, their male counterparts were experiencing. And, and we just really believed that we needed to create a platform and an environment for those conversations and to be able to advance women forward in their businesses and careers. Um, I've heard you talk before about um, females not necessarily being strategic enough around networking. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that women naturally, and, you know, it's hard when we, we create these stereotypes, but I think there is, um, I think there is kind of a generalization that can be made that women are, particularly good at relationships and connecting. But I think when it comes to building strategic relationships and strategic professional networks, we're often not thinking that way. And we're not just not thinking that way, we're not at the places where those deals and, and networks are being formed. And so I, I, you know, you so often see and hear about deals that go on late at night, networking, you know, drinking whiskey at a, a whiskey bar in the city and, you know, it's two o'clock in the morning and there's, we've had bottles of alcohol and then some great deal gets done um, or, you know, deals are done on the golf, golf course or, and I think 
for women, particularly parents, particularly mothers, the opportunity to, um, and, and if, if they are the primary carer, um, predominantly the primary carer, the opportunity to be out, building those relationships, staying out to two o'clock in the morning, drinking, um, going and playing golf, you know, doing all these fun activities, going to the tennis, going to the races. We don't, it's not the same for us. We don't have those same opportunities. Um, and hopefully that changes over time. So there's more, uh, you know, men are taking more of a, a equal role in the parenting. We really need that. But yeah, I think that women are very often left out of those conversations and left out of the boys club. And I think there really is still a very strong boys club. And that's this, re this reality of men still, we're still living in a patriarchal society. Men are still predominantly running the world, running businesses, running countries, all of it. Um, and so, yeah, we, we struggle to get into those networks. And it was always a big thing for me to, you know, on the one hand, I wanted to create an environment for women just to come together and talk and share and be really honest about what's going on for them. And we had great success running dinner series and events for women. But at the same time, I always knew that if we just have women in a room together, well, you know, the most influential people are not sitting in that room. And in order for these women to progress in their businesses and careers, they actually need more of those influential people in the room with them and so I was always very conscious of keeping one roof open to men who wanted to attend um, having them at you know dinners or in, in involved in events and programs and and really connecting women to possible investors uh, who are male or female and so really trying to build that ne that network. Did um, many men attend? Absolutely. And, and yeah, we, we had a strong, we had about, I would say in the co-working space, it was about 40% or 35% were men of our 180 members. Yep. Um, that was obviously, you know, the businesses working at One Roof were, were women led. So they often had a male part, a male co-founder, and then obviously they don't just hire women. So a lot of the staff. Um, but yeah, our landlords were males. Some of my investors um, were males. Our board and and the men were so proud to be on the one roof board and to be one roof investors. Uh, so I think yeah, uh, I just believe so strongly in in that network effect. I think that that is um, and and so much of the research talks about you know that the challenge that women face being lack of mentors, lack of a strong professional network. And that's really one of my key focuses that I'm trying to, to change because, yeah, and, and I think something deep down in me, I realised early on that, that this, building this professional network isn't something women tend to do. And so I just wanted to spill that, cut through it and build a strong professional network to show other women that it's possible. Hmm. Um, I even if I think of my own experience, I probably didn't value networking until I needed networking um, and then realised, you know, you often hear people talk about networking is a dirty word, but the reality is it's just meeting people. Exactly. And yeah. connecting people. And I think maybe networking is we just change the word because I, I know the semantics around that word leaves us feeling somewhat uncomfortable. And a lot of people, it's like the word sales, you know, yes. we think, well, I'm not a, a, you know, sleazy car sales guy. Um, 
in the same way we think, well, networking, I'm not going to walk into a room and, and hand my business card out to everyone and want to meet every single person, which is fine. You shouldn't do that. You should connect and build a, a network in the way that works for you. And if that's one-on-one coffees, if that's, you know, Zoom calls, whatever you feel most comfortable doing is the way to do it. So I think we get lost when we hear networking. And, and that's another thing I really push through. I, I used to be very nervous and anxious going to networking events and having to talk about what I do and introduce myself to people. But I just, I really pushed through that. And I worked out that the, the, what I enjoyed was I would just move to the food table and, and hover around there and meet pe- other people who wanted to eat food with me. And I felt comfortable doing that. And I made incredible connections and networks that way. Um, so I think you just work out what works for you. It's the it's the first intimidating move where you've got to edge your way into a circle, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. But there, that's right. I, I think there are really there are ways of doing it, um, and I think the more you put yourself out there and just do it and see it almost as sometimes you just see these things as an experiment. You know, you just go to a networking event, give it a go, see what happens, see who you meet you know, yeah, throw yourself into a circle and say, hey, I'm Sheree, what do you do? Or, hey, what are you talking about? And and people, yeah, it's, it's awkward for a second and you laugh it off and you move on. That's it. Sheree, I know a lot of people will watch this interview and they'll, um, you know, they'll look at you and they'll look at One Roof and they'll think I could never be like Sheree, I could never do what she does. How do you respond to that? Oh, so I... I guess um, something that has really stuck with me over the years is I used to think that successful people never felt fear. I thought that in order to be successful, you know, you had to be really confident, be fearless, and that if you ever felt afraid, felt nervous, had, you know, lacked confidence, felt self-doubt, then you could never be successful. Um, And I realised that that's just not true. We're we're human and we all feel fear. And the more successful you are, the more you experience imposter syndrome. And so I would just say to people that... um, I feel fear all the time, like literally every second, every day, everything I do, building one roof, I didn't know how to do anything. It was all new to me. And so if you're looking at me thinking I could never do what she does, well, I'm thinking the same thing all the time when I look at everybody else. So um, it's a very common feeling to have. Uh, and I love the the kind of Brené Brown um, concept that she talks about that fear is not a weakness fear is a sign that you're in the arena and you're giving it a go and so I think when you feel those feelings of I can't do this I'm too afraid they're good feelings like you really want to hit those feelings head on and feel them and own them and and know that you're in the arena giving it a shot Um, because yeah that's that's what life's all about and we all experience those feelings all the time. Um, Brene Brown's um, concepts around the world needs braver leaders and around vulnerability were, you know, another couple of things that inspired me to do this series. When have you felt most vulnerable? I would say last year when... um, we one roof was going really well we i built it up we had you know 200,000 people coming in in and out of our space every year it was very successful and i was then i got a call from our landlord saying you've got 3 months and you need to vacate the building and cuz we're going to demolish it and so i had to 
pack it all in and and I guess I, it, it was so vulnerable that moment because I became a co-working operator without a co-working space and I'd I promised my investors and the board that it would that wasn't going to happen and that I would um, secure a site before that happened and nothing worked out according to my plan and and I was also pregnant and so I really felt this pressure from people saying to me well you know maybe this is a time to take a step back because you're pregnant and why would you dive in to building up the business and then I had investors saying well what's happening and you've just got to focus and I had the board saying well what's what space are you going to take and you know what's the model and where are you going with all of this and I felt a huge responsibility to all of these people not to mention my community who had been dispersed and I felt like a failure because I was a co-working operator without a co-working space and it just was really a very low moment for me um yeah but How'd you come through that? What did you, you know, what did you draw on to get through it? Yeah. So one of the biggest things I did was I was really struggling, like really struggling and, and internally wondering whether I could keep running this business because it just felt like I should just give up and nothing was working um, the way I, I was intending it to. And I had a conversation with my partner one day who could see how much I was struggling. And we came up with the idea together that let's bring a group of people into a room who are friends, who were One Roof members, who are, you know, have experience in um, property, in the model that I was working on and give me the space to share all my challenges, all my fears and to literally feel... Um, comfortable to kind of take off my mask and be vulnerable and say to them I don't know if I should keep running this business what do you think I should do because I could never say it to investors I could never say it to the board I could never say it to the members or my team um, and that was one of the most profound moments for me to sit in that room with really smart people who I love and respect and just say I don't know what the hell I'm doing and whether I should keep running this and so we kind of did a pros and cons analysis we brought up my business financial model and assessed the numbers and um, I walked out of that room committed to continuing on with One Roof but also feeling and I'm not sure what the turning point was in that conversation but feeling less detached to, to, to like feeling less attached to the outcome and realizing that if one roof fails it's not me and it's not my identity and I've given it my best shot and for the first time in a long time in, in building one roof I felt okay with whatever the outcome was going to be um, so that was huge and then ended up securing a site um, in December last year and finally getting ready to kind of fit out this amazing space that was going to be the flagship home for women across Australia and then COVID hit and changed everything. And you pivoted. And I, yes, exactly. And yep, and Melissa, you're a, a member of our digital membership and um, yeah, we over the last seven months have built it up to 250 members and we run a workshop every single week and have really great sessions on everything from scoring government grants to hacking happiness mm. um, and we're, well, I'm loving it and I'm really enjoying building up a virtual business and have a, an idea that I want to um, start another business next year to run alongside One Roof that will support emerging female leaders. Um, and I'm excited for the change of direction and actually feel really lucky and fortunate that I didn't invest all this money in a physical co-working business and I've been able to change direction. 
Mm. Um, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing what would have been an incredibly vulnerable moment. But how lovely through whatever that process was, how lovely for you to um, recognise that it wasn't it wasn't you. And I guess it sounds like almost free up your creativity around the next step for the business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely incredible. Um, I was going to ask you a question about the bravest thing you've ever done, but I just feel like you've answered you've answered those questions along the way. Um, what do you hope your legacy will be? Hmm, that's a great question. I would love to create a massive dent in that glass ceiling that's, you know, still acts as, as really significant persisting barriers to women's success. Um, and I think that if I can encourage women to do something that they never thought possible and that they thought they were too afraid to ever do, no matter how big or small that thing is, then that I feel like that I've, I've succeeded. That'd be incredible. And uh, what do you hope of the future for Goldie, for your gorgeous daughter? Yeah, I hope that, um, I, I hope that, brave feminine leadership no longer needs to be brave. I hope that it's, yeah, that feminine leadership is, um, the, is the norm and is understood and is, you know, that she won't feel the way I felt that being a woman can, can have any, any impact on whatever she wants to do in her life. Yeah. So it brings me to our final question, which is from your perspective, what does brave feminine leadership look like now and do you think it does need to change? I think it looks like leading with, you know, the Brené Brown vulnerability piece, um, leading with empathy, authenticity, having the ability to listen and observe and empower people kind of from the back. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's about, you know, it's it's less about hierarchy and more about the mission and the purpose and the movement. Um, I think it's really putting emphasis on purpose equal to profit. I think that, um, you know, it's being inspiring and empowering. Uh, I think it's understanding people as an in, as individuals, then as part of a collective. I think it's caring about diversity um, and inclusion and diversity of people, diversity of thought. I think it's it's having a very strong sense of self-awareness, knowing your strengths, knowing your weaknesses, um, knowing your skills gaps and being able to create, um, yeah, kind of complementary skills amongst the people around you. Um, and I think it's it's striking a balance between being honest about your personal life, about how you got to where you are, what you needed to do to get there, how, how you continue to do what you do, um, when you're scared, when you're afraid, uh, when you don't know what you're doing and kind of being able to balance that with just getting on with the job. I think you can really strike a good balance with that. And, and finally, I think in many ways, it's it's getting in the trenches with people. You know, it's it's not about leading from above and looking down um, it's about 
sitting in in those um, moments with people, with your staff, with your customers, with um, your community, and um, and and feeling it. And I guess it comes back to empathy. And uh, yeah, I can think of so many. You know, Jacinta Arden is just a, a leader who I think of so regularly. But there there are a number of others. Um, you know, Katrina, Dr. Katrina Wallace, who um, we both know, Melissa. I think she is a great example of a true. Um, you know, feminine, really brave feminine leadership. She really takes that in her stride. What a gorgeous answer and what a, a full and complete um, answer. I love that you've given that so much thought. Mm. Um, and Sheree, I've just, I've really loved our conversation today. Uh, I'm so excited to see what you do next with the business. You know, I think you're full of amazing ideas. They're led by a genuine passion. And I've got no doubt that you've already, uh, you're already leaving an amazing legacy. You know, I can see so many businesses that have really taken off um, as a result of having One Roof as a sort of landing platform for them. So um, thank you again for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, we will make it easy for people to find One Roof. It's a terrific community. And, uh, you know, I think if people are looking for, um, you know, a group to help them solve problems and uh, remove some of the loneliness they might be feeling, uh, no matter what space they're operating in. I think it's a great space to land. So thank you. Have an amazing day. Thanks, Melissa. You too. Hello there. If you're enjoying the podcast and would love to accelerate your own growth and leadership, then head to bravefeminineleadership.com forward slash brave tips for your gift from me, where I've captured all of the amazing tips and themes that came out of these conversations. I hope they help you feel your brave rising.